morning, everyone. Welcome to the What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge edition of the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now this month, we are live talking about everything that might hold a writer back from producing the work they want to write and how they might overcome those roadblocks. However, I am doing a few bonus pre-recorded sessions of writers that I wanted to bring in. And we're very lucky to have the wonderful writer and teacher, so well-known. I've been hearing about Mary Carol Moore and her teaching for my students for a very long time. So Mary, thank you so much for being on the show and good morning. Good morning, Michelle, glad to be here. So Mary Carol Moore is a best-selling and award-winning author, 14 books in three genres. That in itself is an accomplishment, including the Penn, Faulkner, and Lambda Literary Awards nominated young adult novel, Qualities of Light, the prequel to A Women's Guide to Search and Rescue. She received her MFA from Goddard College and has taught throughout the U.S. and abroad at various writing schools and universities since 1998. Her writing craft book, Your Book Starts Here, won the New Hampshire Literary Awards Reader's Choice Award. So we've got both a writer and someone who's written about writing quite a lot. And so she is our expert today. And she's going to talk about what has held her back, what she hears from students holding her back. I, I said, Mary, where do you want to start? Are you willing to start with what has held you back in your own writing career? And she said, yes, let's start there. And <laughs> a lot of writers aren't willing to go through that stuff, right? But Mary said, no, let's keep it real, right? That's yeah, right. So, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. So, so Mary, has anything held you back? I mean, you've written 14 books. I, I don't I don't know if a lot has held you back. So oh, but, it's <laughs> totally held me back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what the big, in your journey? The biggest thing was when I was um, trying to find an agent again. I had had an agent for my early books and he retired. And so I was searching agents again in my late career, which was not fun. And one agent I worked with pretty consistently in the beginning said that my my novel, A Woman's Guide to Search and Rescue, she loved my characters, but she told me I needed a plot. Oh, and I thought, oh. oh my God, you know, here I have written all these books and I don't have a plot. And I, so I said, well, what would you recommend? And she said, well, you know, you're kind of a literary thriller writer. So you have the literary part, but you don't have the thriller part. So why don't you find yourself a really good thriller writer to study under and see if you can get a plot going here with more tension. So that was like a shock. And I sat with that comment for maybe a month and a half before I said, okay, I'm going to do this because I love the story. I love these characters. So I went online and I found um, a thriller writer who taught at UCLA Extension. He's really well known for his writing. And I asked, I I found his email and I, I emailed him and I said, help, I'm a literary thriller writer without a thriller. <laughs> and can you help me? And so for a year, we worked back and forth. I put that agent on hold and I said, I'd, I'd do my work. And I learned how to write a thriller. And then I went back to the agent. And I said, okay, now I've got the thriller here. And she said, you have too much thriller. You're not a thriller writer. You're a character writer. And I went, oh my God, what do I do? I'm caught between these two genres. But I still wanted to have both both elements in. Right. So I took the book back again, took another year and tried to pull out some of the murders. <laughs> I guess I pulled out some of the dramatic scenes and I got back to what I really do best. And she's right. Um, the plot was there, 
but it was overshadowing the character relationships and it was not my forte as a writer. So I reduced yeah. the thriller aspects. I took out the intense scenes, some of them, and I focused more on the character. And then I felt like, oh, finally, I got this book. This is something I like. And she signed me and we went on from there. So um, I, I learned a lot about, okay, if you're going to do something complex, like a cross-genre novel, you really have to be comfortable with what percentage of each you're going to work with. Like, what is your strength as a writer? And if it's not one of those sides, like mine wasn't thriller, you've got to either get help or learn how to you know, balance what your tendency is so that the the result is something palatable for the reader. So I I have a literary thriller now, and I guess it works because I'm getting such good feedback on it now that it's out in print. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, how exciting. I mean, I do feel like when people do put their toes into thriller writing or crime novels, that they do tend to overdo it a bit, overcomplicate it a bit, particularly literary writers because they they they're smart writers um and so they just kind of you know they're like oh i can play with this stuff and so they tend to overcomplicate it so i i think that the journey that you had with that is really really common i'm constantly telling my students i, I well i tell them plot is stupid don't overcomplicate yeah. it keep it simple so that you can keep working on the things that you love character development, theme, meaning, language, whatever whatever you most love, keep the plot simple. You just need something to hold the rest of it up. So this experience also must have made you a better teacher. It did. Yeah. So, so I could see it in my, in my students' writing as well, the complications that were not necessary. And so I would usually have them go back and make a reverse outline after they had their draft, they would go in and they'd actually outline the plot for each chapter and see how many duplicates they had. A lot of times it was the same action over and over again, or the character wasn't moving forward chapter to chapter. They were kind of stalled out because the action was too intense. So they mm. could actually, if, if they downloaded the essence of the chapter into an outline, you know, I'm talking like one or two sentences per chapter, they could actually see this happens and this is the change that happens. So it was really, you know, quite a good technique for me to learn and then pass on to my students. Absolutely. And that, yeah, I see that too. Uh, this, this, I think it happens in a lot of first novels or, or, or writers that aren't quite used to getting the pacing right, but they don't quite know what to do with their characters. And so they do have them put them in situations where you get a lot of repetition. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost like they're trying to get the scene right. And because they know they haven't gotten the previous scene right, they write it again and then they write it again. And then they, cause they're like, they know something's wrong. So instead to go back and use fewer scenes. And as you, as you said, what is the change or what is the turn? And if you don't have that, the scene hasn't accomplished what it needs to do. And you probably will begin to write it over and over and over again, because you'll have this feeling, Oh, nothing's happening. So what is the scene or turn and how does it have consequence on the next thing that happens in the next thing? Um, in terms of action that is in too that is too intense, how did you get them to slow that down? Because that can be tough because they get they get all like excited about the action and it begins to completely overwhelm the character. My beta readers really surprised me when I 
redid the book and I still had kind of too many intense scenes, the beta readers said, well, we don't need this. And I, I couldn't believe it. I had a wonderful scene where the villain um, burns down this cabin while the protagonist is inside and they escape, of course, and kill him. But there was several people said, you know, I'm kind of tired of him by this point. We really don't need this scene. And so I kind of, uh, that was a real wake up call for me. So they, I guess what I'd learned from that is that I'd already made the point and right. I made it well, and I didn't need to, to emphasize it like the bad guy and what his humanity was and what his lack of humanity was. I'd already made that point like four chapters before. And so I didn't need that kind of intensity in the plot to drive home the point, I guess. They didn't need right. it. I didn't need it. So I saved it as an outtake. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually going to have it on my website as an outtake for this book because I love that chapter. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, yeah, I always go back to um, Flannery O'Connor saying a story isn't finished until the mystery of the character has been solved. Mm -hmm. um, um, or does she she might say the mystery of the character has been revealed. So lots of times I don't think we we take a story far enough to reveal the mystery of the character but it sounds like with your with that particular character you had he was revealed and there's nothing more it would just be again repetition mm -hmm. to put him even if it was fun to have him burn down a, burn down a cabin um now you have been teaching for years and um working again in in, in all sorts of different genres um, what are the issues that you find most often are holding writers back that you work with? Mm, that's a great question. And you know, question. Just I just threw folks a huge question. Yes, synopsize it. In a nutshell. <laughs> well, one of the things that I think a lot of, of students do, especially if it's their first book, is that they start too late. Um, mm. They they um, have what I call the preamble chapters. And in, in my history, I have chapter one through five is usually in my early drafts, the preamble chapters. And luckily, uh, an editor of publishing company told me, you know, you just need to start at chapter five. You don't need chapters one through four. And the, the agony of people giving up those early chapters, especially if they've revised them and they're really honed, but the reader doesn't need them. So they, I think the biggest challenge I found in my students is to decide what's for you and what's for the reader. Like what will serve the book versus serve you? So maybe you had the need to write that ch those chapters, those early chapters, just to get something out of your system or to explore or to get to know the character, but the reader doesn't need it. They need to start right at a certain point. And to find that certain point, sometimes it's hard for somebody to do without feedback. So that's what I, I lean on my community for, my writer's group and my writing partner is like, did I really need to start this this late? You know, I, I, I probably need to move up the dial a little bit to chapter four usually or five. So that's yeah. a very common situation I find with um, my students. And that's why when I taught storyboarding, you could actually test out your starting point and see if it's actually a lot of times people would start so far, you know, into the history of the story and no one wants to know how Boston Harbor had, you know, 15 ships in that year. And not not until chapter four or five does the person actually get on a ship. So that's where you, you know, you really have to think about it out of the box as the reader, not as the writer. Right. And I feel like that disease is it's it's usually it usually comes from 
people who love to read. They've been reading all their lives and, and they have been reading a lot of um, older novels or older stories. You know, the, the stories that when we when they first uh, when Hawthorne and Poe and, and all of those folks were first launching into the story form, they didn't quite know where to begin because they didn't even know where it what they were doing. So oftentimes they would start with the character being born <laughs> and then right. they would often end with the character dying. And that was the only way that they could figure, figure out the, the beginning point and the end point. And then you had these huge 19th century novels that would give us all this background on family and all this stuff. Um, and the pacing today is just different. Even if you do love those 19th century novels, the pacing today is just different. Sadly, we might not have the same intention span, but it just might be the case. I mean, you talked about, so with your storyboarding, I mean, what advice do you give for people finding that beginning spot? Um, I mean, having another reader is is really important because they can definitely see it for you. But But in terms of, gosh, not wasting time working over those first five chapters or what what is the what is the writer looking for in your idea for that beginning? Yeah. that's a that's a really good thing to to ponder because what I find is usually there's a call and response in a, a, success, a successfully structured novel, there's a call and response and there's an, a question asked in the very beginning that's answered at the end. And usually the question has two levels. It has a plot level, meaning, something happened, what's going to happen because of that. And then there's a character level about the trajectory of the character. So I find that if the early part of the book asks those questions successfully, and the ending act answers those questions successfully, I'm not talking about like neatly tied up, but just there's a call and response, then mm -hmm. it's successfully structured. But a lot of times people feel like they have to go into the background of the question which is all that preamble. And so if they can get that question clear in their minds and the storyboard usually asks them, at least in my classes, we used to say, okay, what's the opening question? And how does it change in the middle? Because usually the question morphs in the middle. And then what is the answer at the end? And do that for both the plot and the character arc. And you can see right away, you know, a lot of people in the classes at Grub used to say, I don't have a question, you know? And I thought, well, there you go. You know, that's a that's a quick way to tell if you have a, a story arc or not. And if you don't, you know, you got maybe work backwards. That's one thing I told them to take take the answer that, you know, you know where you want to end and work backwards. What kinds of questions could pr produce this answer? So that was a quick way to do it. It's not yeah. fun. <laughs> Nobody liked it. No, because, again, you're kind of reverse engineering all this right. stuff and people wish they just had it. Oh, to begin yeah. Yeah. They want to flow. They want the flow writing. They want to sit down and have it work. And it's beautiful. And, you know, I love that writing too, but that's not how a book is made, actually. It's the it's the totally beginning level. And then the revision and the structuring is what really makes the book sing. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of that, I oftentimes think of, I talk to my students about, well, having that a dramatic question, and that's something that their book can um, rest on and launching that dramatic question, as you say, as, as early as possible. And I always, I always think, you know, um, the dramatic question, at least in terms of propelling the, the plot, needs to be dramatic, therefore concrete. Um, you know, when we, we talk about 
you need to dramatize this. What, what we're really saying is you, we need to make it concrete. We need to put it on a stage, a stage where there's a set, where there are characters, where things are happening. And that's what makes it concrete and that's what makes it drama. So that's when I talk about dramatic question, I'm talking about something concrete, but yours, it might, it might be a combination of the dramatic, dramatic question and, and, and another kind of question in terms of the characters. I mean, how do you, does any does any of what I'm saying reflect on yeah. on off of of what you think about when you're talking to students about these questions? I tell them that you may not know about the character question until after you've done some drafting, and that's too bad because it means that you're going to waste time. But for me, one of the main uh, character arcs in a woman's guide for search and rescue is the theme of search and rescue. How do you do that? That the plot is all about search and rescue pilots, women pilots, but the interior line is about search and rescue of a family. So there's mm -hmm. these two estranged sisters and they're trying to get back to each other. One of them is fleeing from the law. The other one has no idea she, the other one exists. So they come into this very unhappy reunion because one of them is being chased and the other one has to decide if she's going to shelter the fugitive or not who is kind of her sister, but not really. So mm -hmm. what I had to do was write those scenes about those characters and what did they long for? So the character that's running, she longs for family. She's dreamed about being with this sister for all her life. And the other one longs for a father who abandoned her. So they're, tr they're both longing for something. And I had to find what their question was from that longing. So I think you know, you talk about wounding event. That's something that I really respect in your writing, Michelle, the whole idea of what happened to these people early on that caused this, this hole in them that is going to be filled by the story events. So these mm -hmm. two sisters are going to find each other, but it's not going to be easy or happy. And I'm going to call it found family. Is found family the thing that both of them are looking for? Because their biological family did not provide what they needed in terms of acceptance and love. So that's the thing, you know, the the journey of the character, what are they going to do with this wound that they have and how are they going to heal themselves if they're healable? So yeah. it's it is a little different from dramatic question, but it's like the longing is the thing that I look for. What is the longing of the character and how could I form a question around that and then an answer? Mm hmm. It's it's kind of similar. Um, I know uh, Jessica Brody and Save the Cat and some people hate that book and some people love it. Um, talk about that. The character needs to learn a lesson. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it could possibly be tied to that, you know, um, or or even Lisa Cron, we talk about that a lot, like the character has mm -hmm. a misbelief, you know, they feel like they need to to fill this hole in them or otherwise they won't be loved. And yet what they really need is X. Right. Uh, so it can be, it can function like that. But what I love too is when you're talking about how their past influences their present and forward journeys mm -hmm. uh, because I always think of the the wounding event as you know something that they carry around and that that whatever you're throwing at them in the present is going to force them to revisit that wound in some way mm -hmm. um, it hopefully won't be an exact rhyme um, it hopefully will just re resonate off of that past wound and that's why it gets them so badly um, and that's why they feel like they have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that's what gives the the forward projection. 
Um, wonderful. I mean, this is just fun. I just love talking to a fellow teacher. I know it's fun. Isn't it? Well, you know, on the storyboard, the, the reconciliation of that wound is 0.4, which is the pre, you know, the final crisis of the book, not the very last chapter kind of crisis, but the turning point that is the major turning point. And I found that when I started thinking about a wounding event, as being something that they'd have to face or acknowledge or accept or reconcile in some way, their own way, that that made a trajectory that I could really follow and I could teach well. So that was a that was a huge gift you gave to the world when you wrote that article. Uh, maybe I don't know, um, but thank you. I think, uh, I, I but I want, but I do want um, listeners to hear that we are we are also using somewhat different language to attack very similar issues mm -hmm. in the novel, um, and to to kind of get at the idea of of structure in a novel or in a story. And and I warn my students oftentimes <clears throat> that because writers are creative, they can't stick to the same terms for the same things to save their lives. So just get used <laughs> to the fact that people will use different terms for it. And that also different teachers will explain things in ways that make sense to them. And then other teachers that everything will just go over their heads. I mean, it, it really depends on the language that the teacher's using, the personality of the teacher. So it's good to, to try different teachers. And, and that's why I'm also always eating up craft books and, and mm -hmm. giving them to my students, like, maybe this will make sense to you. Maybe this will make sense to you. Um, what else with your working with students have you run upon in terms of the obstacles that they're facing? Mm. Because a lot of obstacles are also emotional. Yes. Or have something to do larger with their lives. And that can be very difficult for a teacher to deal with because sometimes you think, well, I don't know, maybe you need to get help <laughs> with that. You know, like how could I help them with that when I don't when I don't have a background in psychology or when and I, I really want to help them, but I might I just might not have the expertise to do it. I thought um, sometimes I should have been a psychotherapist first before a writing teacher because I run into that. And that's probably the thing that I would answer your question with is that a lot of people are working out their own issues in their novels. And, yeah. you know, I was on a podcast recently and the it, the topic was, are you your characters? And I thought, well, yes, in early drafts. But as yeah. I matured the book, the characters got more and more distant from me and my own history. And that was right. That was right. So I can usually tell an early draft of a novel because it's too close to the person's life and their own issues and their own psychology and their own beliefs of right and wrong. So they're not allowing the characters to actually break out of their own box. You know, they believe that this is right and this is wrong and they don't let the characters do anything else. So as the novel matures, they're going to find that the characters can stretch and expand beyond their own personal, the writer's own personal world. And that's what makes magic, I think, in fiction, when you're allowing that. And I, I really, so I wrote my novel, The Woman's Guide to Search and Rescue, to understand my mother, who was a pilot in World War II. And mm -hmm. I never knew her really well. I mean, she, I lived with her. She was my mother, but she was a mystery. She put piloting away as soon as my sister was born. And I, like, I tried to talk to her about it all my life, and she would never talk about it. You know, what, mom, you landed at LaGuardia with an engine on fire. What happened? You know, who, what kind of person are you? And right. so when I started this book, it was to explore that history. But as I got more and more into the story and the characters became alive for me, 
I could divorce the book from my mother and myself. And that was when the book started to really work. And that's when I could, I got an agent for it. So that it was, it was a, it's a really hard journey for a lot of people. If they're working out like a childhood trauma or something in, in their story, it's going to take time. And, yeah. you know, writing is a cheap th- way to get psychotherapy, but it may not be the only way that that's needed. Yeah. I mean, when I think about, so even memoirists need to have some distance. They need yeah. to create a character on the page um, that is not necessarily a whole, their whole self, just so that they can see the person and write about the person, because otherwise the person vanishes on the page. I mean, that's also the problem with over-identifying with your um, character is sometimes they become an observer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they don't have their own, um, objective correlative in the, in the text they're, they're, they, they simply almost seem not to exist. They're almost a stand in for the author, just watching things. Right. Um, yeah. So how do you, um, how did you get there with that book? Um, how did you, as you say, divorce yourself from those characters? It took time. I wrote yeah. it for, it was 10 years. 10 years in the making, and that's really long time to work on a book and and still stubbornly stick with it. I wrote a a bunch of other things in the meantime because I couldn't stand it after a while. But I really, really wanted to write this story about women pilots. So I stuck with it, but it took a long time. It took a long time for me to make mistakes, I guess, and to get feedback that was very hard hard for me to hear, not just the thriller. He He was later in the game, but early on in the game, you know, people telling me, you know, your characters are like cardboard. They're just so flat. Like you said, they're witnessing the story. They're not acting in it. And so it it just was, it was almost a heartbreaking experience for me to pass through those first, say, five years and then start to get a glimmer of, oh, wow, this person isn't me and, and she's not my mother. And, you know, so what, what would be different about her? So then I start to think about ways to make them absolutely opposite of who I am and who, who my mother is. And that, that really helped me. I pushed it to the extreme and then I could dial it back to kind of a middle place that worked. It was oh, hard. I like that. Pushing them to the extreme in the opposite direction. Um, and just seeing what happens because mm-hmm. the thing is, I, mean, I think, I think writers think, well, well, I can't do that. I mean, actually you can do anything because then you can just do your next draft and, and, and scale some of it back. You know, the only thing we're wasting is time and we're not even wasting time because we're learning something along the way. Um, you know, but we're not wasting materials. We're not wasting, you know, granite that we bought. We're not (laughs) wasting canvas and paint, you know? Um, so we can do it over and over and over again. That's really good. And I think, you know, I've actually given up on books, where the protagonist was too close to me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I just, I couldn't find that distance. Um, and so you were able to get just more insight into the character and they began to grow in the opposite direction to you instead of, cause I always thought, well, maybe I just need to create a whole new character or oftentimes I would just give up on the book. Cause I was like, I can't even see this person. Obviously I can't write about a contemporary woman of my age. And, you know, sometimes I give them like make them brunettes or make them really tall, which is totally ridiculous. I mean, those are just superficial things. Um, But But you're talking about, I mean, they would begin to do things that you Mm -hmm. wouldn't do or make choices that you wouldn't do. Yeah. And their ethics are different. So for instance, if, if my, my, I always thought my mom had huge, hugely 
profoundly high ethics, right? She would, she's really right and wrong oriented. So the first thing I did was try to push the ethics. So I went into moral ambiguity with one of the characters and, you know, what she classifies as justifiable and what she could do, you know, will she harm somebody in order to save someone else? So I had her struggle with those questions, which I know were different. My mother never did, you know, so that was the kind of thing I did first. And I, yeah, I did try to make her physically different, but you know, I, I really wanted to do it from the inside out because I thought that that would make the biggest difference in the character, pushing them away from my reality into their own. Right. Yeah. Right. So even That's just the, their moral settings. Right. But I love that. Okay. And the questions um, that they'd ask. Yeah. The things that they'd have to face were different and there weren't black and white. They weren't like, okay, here's the easy answer. They were really complex and really ambiguous. Um, that moral ambiguity is the thing I was really after. And what that probably requires is putting them in harder and harder situations to see how their how their real personality or character is going to wake up to that. Yeah. You're basically testing the character. Um, yeah. And they'd start out selfish. Usually my characters are awfully selfish in the beginning and they're self-centered and they have basically they want to survive and all of that. So I get them to the point where they have to choose between their own good and someone else's good. So that sounds really Pollyannish, but in, in real life, in the, in a, you know, a moral situation, what are you going to choose mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. use your talent or your knowledge for someone else or for, for yourself? And, and why would you make that choice? So that's, that's, a, it's really kind of a fun thing to do hard, but fun. Yeah. Okay. That's great. I love that. Well, Carol, I mean, I, Carol, I called you Carol. That's but right. I, everybody I, does. Everybody. Everyone does it. <laughs> all right i'm used to it my whole life <laughs> yes well mary um we're gonna have to wrap up everyone i wish we could talk to her for a very long time but you can check out her craft book and you can check out she's got a new book coming out in your new book is coming out in april correct mm -hmm. yeah it's called last um, bits mm -hmm. last bits and you are still uh promoting your most recent book as well um so this is a woman that you do want to listen to because she's got 14 books out there and she's able to work through some really difficult issues with her books and still also listen to teachers when she needed them and go for that help when she when you knew that you needed them. I think I think that's really, really impressive. And to continue to talk about that, because I think a lot of time writers don't talk about themselves ever needing help um, because they want to seem like these fully formed geniuses from the get go. And that's not really the case. We're all still learning. We're all still getting there. So everyone, um, you can find this particular interview as well as a whole lot of other, other interviews on our Substack page. Uh, we're at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates. We've got a full range of podcast episodes, including our past two writing challenges. Uh, we did our first one was 50 days. Our second one was 30 days. And then I started getting tired and did some shorter ones. But but there's some really good material there, too. And we're going to continue uh, talking to writers about what uh, makes them cook as we keep going forward. OK, uh, Mary, any final words you have about breaking through writing obstacles? And you can talk about either what do you advise to to others or what would you tell your younger self? Maybe one of those two um, in terms of breaking through your writing obstacles. Well, I would say to other writers, don't be afraid of following your strengths. Find what you want to write and what you write from the heart and go with it. Even if people in the market talk you out of it, 
it's really important in the end, like I found I was a character writer to go with your strengths. Yes, you have to find out how to do the rest of it, but that's that's the core. That'll keep you going. It'll keep you enthused and passionate about your stories. Yes. And don't let anyone convince you that your strengths don't matter or that the right. kind of story that you're working on doesn't matter. Um, because it, that's that's all taste usually. So excellent. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time. I know that this is going to help out a lot of people. Everyone, I hope that you're able to get back to your writing desk with some good inspiration and good luck and good writing. But you never wonder why there isn't nothing here at all.